Speaking of Christmas, maybe you've heard about the, uh, the perfect couple on their Christmas Eve drive. Have you heard of, heard of the perfect couple, the perfect man married the perfect woman. They had the perfect courtship, the perfect engagement. They had the perfect marriage. And uh, one perfect Christmas Eve, snowy day, night, evening, snowy night, they were driving down the road in their perfect little car and uh, enjoying their perfect little life. And they noticed there was some guy off the side of the road that had an accident and he had this huge sack. And they realized as they got closer that it was Santa and he had a huge sack of toys. And so this perfect family said that the perfect thing for us to do would be to pull over and help Santa. I mean, you can't be a perfect couple if you don't help Santa, right? Only Philadelphia throws snowballs at Santa. But they pull over and they, they let Santa in the car and Santa gets in the car with all of his toys and on that Christmas Eve they decide that they can't let the kids down because they're perfect, right? And so they, they drive around town helping Santa deliver all the toys. But the weather started to deteriorate and all of a sudden they find that they're off the side of the road and into a tree and so they wrecked themselves. And so in the accident, as the story goes, everyone died but one person. Who was the survivor is the million dollar question. Any ideas? Any ideas? Well, the answer goes like this. Of course, the perfect woman survived. She's the only one that really existed in the first place because everyone knows that Santa doesn't exist and there are no perfect men. (laughs) Amen? Some guy came along and he changed the end and he said, so if there's no perfect man and no Santa Claus, the perfect woman must have been driving and now we know why there was an accident. (laughs) All right. Why am I talking about that? We're going to be talking about men and women today and the relationship of husbands and wives specifically. Let me tell you where we've been a little bit. Paul in Colossians is telling us what true Christianity looks like. What does it really look like to be in Christ and to have a relationship with Christ and for it to play itself out? In life, Paul's been showing us how being transformed in the likeness of Christ means really that there is a transformation in all of our relationships. In all of our relationships. Not just how we treat each other in relationships, but how we value relationships. Do you know that? That as a Christian, you value relationships in a different way, to a, to a greater degree. Um. Let me step on toes here right at the beginning, um, speaking of relationships. Um, last week, we've been announcing for several, several weeks and showing you commercials and putting it in the bulletin, and I've been talking about it, and Elder Bruce and Elder Radley went to a training uh, down in Atlanta, and they've been talking about it, and we've been putting things out in the foyer, et cetera, and telling you how uh, in November it's Billy Graham's 95th birthday, and in correlation with Billy Graham's birthday, he's doing his final sermon to to the nations, and you can get involved by inviting people in your family or community and just have them at your home and invest in that relationship and and have them in your home and use this tool in a company with Billy Graham's birthday that they're providing to, to share the gospel through Billy Graham preaching his final message. And so last Sunday, as we've been announcing, we had just a short training during the kids' Christmas program training uh, practice, and uh, we invited you to come, and one person showed up. And uh, I thought, hmm, I thought about it most of the week, and then I emailed um, or texted Elder Bruce. He does text, by the way, just in case you didn't know that. And I said, I said, what do you think? What do we need to do with this? And uh, we chatted back and forth a little bit, and then I asked him the question, I said, what does this tell us? What, do, what does this say? I mean, what do, what do we need to know as, as leaders, as elders? And he said, it, it might 
it might indicate that um, that we have some trouble valuing relationships. I mean, maybe it's telling us that, that we're not we're not willing to invest in relationships. And so and so maybe um, I'm not sure I'm not sure if that's the complete truth. I imagine that there are some people who wanted to come, plan to come, and and I get it. You just you couldn't make it. Um, but I wonder. My point is, is that relationships are crucial, and we, we spent a good amount of time the week before and last week talking about that. I asked even last week a few reality check questions. One of them was, are you living out your Christianity in relationships? Pretty simple, pretty practical question. Or does your Christianity kind of terminate, kind of end basically with your Sunday morning attendance? Is that the extent of your Christian relationships? And unfortunately, as I also indicated last week, that for most of us who claim to be Christians in America, at least, that Sunday morning Christianity really only averages out to about two, maybe three weeks out of four each month. And the fact is, we just can't get relationships here on the level we need to get relationships. God has designed us not to be Lone Ranger Christians. He's designed this whole thing to be a body, to be corporate, to be a congregation that we might not just be unified here on Sunday morning, but, but Christianity has to play out in relationships. And the reason that I focused on that last week was not to kind of bring the hammer down on you. Oh, and pastor got on to us about, you know, not being in relationships together and, and not coming to church. And that, that, you remember, wasn't the point. My point is not to say to you, hey, we need you here, although we do. My point wasn't a follow-up to that to say, we need more volunteers for this or that. that that's not the point, although we, we might. That wasn't the point. The point was, do you realize, because maybe I think we miss it, relationships as God has designed the body of Christ to work, relationships are for your good. Of course you benefit the body as a whole as you plug in and as you use your passions and gifts, but you need relationships. Christianity doesn't work outside of the body. Christianity doesn't work on your own. It doesn't work as a solo sport. When you try it like that, you end up exploding or imploding in your Christianity. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't work because God didn't design Christianity to be in isolation. He didn't design it just to be had on Sunday mornings. Christianity is about relationships. And that's got to go past these doors. I said this last week. The success of this church, if we just talk about Cornerstone, rises and falls, in my opinion, based on the nine years that I've been doing this, this church, the success of Cornerstone will rise and fall on your willingness to live in the relational culture of community. Good teaching is important. Good children's programs are important. Good worship is important. But I've found all other things being equal. If, if you don't get in relationships and invest in relationships, the lack of relationships will make or break this body. Well, the last few weeks, Paul has been talking about those relationships in general. Chapter 3, be kind to one another. Be patient. Forgive one another. Just general one another statements. Today, chapter 3, 18 and 19, from here on, um, he gets very specific. Today, the rubber meets the road. No more of this one another, no more of this theoretical how do we treat each other in relationships. Today, uh, husbands, he's going to talk to you about your wives. Today, wives, he's going to talk to you about your husbands. He's going to get very specific in relationships. 
No more theoretical, how do we treat one another? You've got to go home and face each other after today. So feel free to elbow during the message. Next week, by the way, he'll point to kids, and then after that he'll go to your livelihood. And so he's going to continue to get more and more specific. Very practical here. Um, Simply put, Paul starts at home with your relationships. And why? Why might that be? I think it's, uh, it's not because other relationships don't matter. I think it's because the relationships at home matter so much. I mean, think about it for a moment. The rest of our Christian relationships matter very little. And I hate to say they don't matter, but you'll get the point. The rest of our Christian relationships don't really matter if the relationships in our home crumble. When it comes to our testimony, if we, if we drop the ball there... Does it matter how well we keep up our relationships outside of there? No, I mean, there's, there's vital importance to, to maintaining and feeding the relationships in our, in our primary home. It starts there, doesn't it? Some of you, let me say this, some of you have lived through, through homes that have imploded, through marriages that have crumbled. Thanks be to God that he's in the business of fixing broken, right? And so don't, don't have any fear there if you come from a broken situation. Uh, that's not a problem. God, however, at the center of any problem becomes the remedy. But it's worth saying that if we don't focus on the home, I think that's why Paul goes here. He goes straight to husbands and wives. All this general talk about relationships and then bam. Husbands, here's what you do with your wives. Wives, what about your husbands? It's because if we fail there, what do we have? I mean, you look to pastors as like the model, right? I mean, my only job is to do what you're supposed to do. Right? I don't have a different job than you do. You're just supposed to be able to look at, look at Kimberly and I and say, all right, we have some semblance of a model here. If it breaks down in our home outside of here, then you see how it just, it just infects the rest here? That's why Paul starts there. Nothing else can happen if it breaks down at the foundation that is the home. It's a logical letter. Paul has basically said this. Christianity... Um, can seem complicated if we complicate the gospel. That's what he told us, chapter 1. Christianity can seem complicated if we complicate the gospel. So, therefore, do not complicate the gospel. And he told us what the gospel was. Um, Understand now that you get the gospel. Understand what Christ's death and resurrection means to your eternal security. That was chapter 2 and chapter 3 at the beginning. Here's the true gospel. Here's what it's not. Here's what it is. Now here's what that eternal reality of your security in Christ through His wondrous, glorious death and resurrection, here's what it it looks like. Here's what it means to your eternity. And then he says, now let the reality of that flesh itself out in life. Where does it flesh itself out in? Relationships. Talked about it in general, and now he's going to hit us in the home. Relationships begin in the home. If you're not married, let me just say this. Don't, don't tune me out from this point on uh, because it will be helpful to you one day. Beyond that, you probably know people who are married and you can use them as test cases for what I'm about to say. Um, you've heard these verses before and you've heard them not only here in Colossians, but you've heard, you've heard these words in other places, in Paul's writings, Peter's writings. You've heard them preached on, I'm sure. The idea of submission, the idea of love are not new to you. I'm going to look at them in a little bit different ways today. Number one, uh, I want to tell you why I think 
he gives the specific admonitions to specifically husbands and specifically wives that he gives here. I'm going I'm I'm to spend just a minute telling you why. And then number two, I'm going to give you, in my estimation, uh, just some things that I've learned in my 15 years of marriage and ministry. Right? Not, that I've, not that I've learned them to the point where I'm doing them. Let me just give you that caveat. But I'm, I, I've been banging my head on the wall. I see, I see some of these things, right? And uh, there are many more, but I'm going to give you some of those things for the ladies and for the guys as well. Women are told, verse 18, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Hang on, ladies. Don't get, don't get upset because 19, Husbands are to love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Love your wives. We have specific and unique admonitions here. Women are told to submit and men are told to love. All right? Pretty basic. He doesn't go into any long explanation. Women submit. Men are to love. I think that he does this very direct, simple, and short admonition for men and women because these are the general areas where we as men generally and you as women generally struggle. You think that's a fair statement? Women, submission, men, loving. It probably hits most of us. It hits all of us. It's the bottom line. It's the foundation. It's the catch-all. It could be said that those things, if, if solved, if dealt with, can fix a whole lot of other stuff. I mean, there are a lot of things that Paul could have talked about here, right? I mean, there are other things that, that husbands and wives have to work on and fix. Absolutely. Do we have other issues? Absolutely. But if we get these right, do they, do they help solve a lot of the other problems? Probably. Um, we each have specific ways we struggle against our own sinfulness. But generally speaking, men have been affected by the fall and sin in some, in some very common ways. And generally speaking, women, you've been affected by the fall, Genesis, in some very common ways, common to all women. I think that's where Paul's going with these. I think Paul's addressing these general or common tendencies in husbands or wives because they are the baseline for the rest of our selfishness and sinfulness. Ladies, we're going to start with you. If Satan gets his way, if Satan gets his way, he would like you to be rebels and at the very least thorns in your husband's flesh. And I choose those words, rebels and thorns, for specific reasons. For the man who is called to play the role of head, and that's another sermon for another day, the worst thing you can do is not submit to his headship. That's the worst thing you could do in your relationship. Satan will give you, by the way, every reason and opportunity to mutiny. He will. Knowing that this is the baseline, that's where Satan's going to attack. Um, you need to know, ladies, that this is the choice attack of the enemy. And so knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe said that. Great theologian. But not only know it, you need to be on guard because it is, it is the unique way that sin has affected you as a woman. All right? So um, let me show you something here first, ladies, before we get to the things I've learned in my 15 years of marriage and ministry. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Turn with me. It's not going to be on the screen. If you've got your Bible, turn to Genesis 3. It's at the very beginning. 
four or five pages in. In Genesis 3, the fall has taken place, and now the ramifications of the fall are being spelled out. It's the section of the curse. What is the curse as a consequence of the fall? Genesis 3.16, we find out, ladies, what you have to endure. Genesis 3.16 says, To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, let me say this. Um, the headship of man, the role of uh, the wife, was established before the fall. At this point, after the fall, those roles get corrupted. So man has a role of headship long before the fall. Man does not become head, and woman is not called to submit to her husband after the fall. That's important for you to know, because some people think that... that we only have those roles in Christianity post the fall. Now, God designed that in Eden while things were still perfect. And now after the fall, sin creeps in and those roles get tweaked and corrupted and twisted. And so now they, they get ruined. And that plays out in our relationships as husbands and wives. Part of how our relationship, husband and wife, gets ruined in regards to you ladies is this. Your desire will be for your husband. Now, what does that mean? That does not mean, I'm sorry guys, that your sexual desire will be for him. I hope that's true, but that's not part of the curse. I mean, maybe you think that's part of the curse. Um, when the writer of Genesis says that your desire will be for your husband, what he means is the same thing that the author meant in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7. So flip a chapter over. Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel. You remember that story? And God comes to Cain and Abel, and he's going to speak with them. And here's what he says, very interesting to Cain in Genesis 4, verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's this picture of a lion. Sin is crouching at the door, and it's, what's the word? It's desire. Hey, good job, Mike. Look at you. You're quick, buddy. Your desire now you threw me off, Mike. I, I don't even know what I'm talking about now. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. My point is this. Desire, same word as Genesis 3, is not a good thing. It's not talking about the sexual context of desire. That wouldn't be the curse. Here's what the curse is. Just like that crouching tiger, his desire is for you. That means he wants to eat your lunch. He wants to swallow you whole, spit out the bones. Now, husbands, is that an apt picture for what happens sometimes in marriage relationships? Come on, ladies. Part of the curse is, is that you will have this sinful tendency in you that you will have this desire to consume your husband and his headship, but he will rule you. His role will still be headship, authority, leading. But your specific bent post-fall will be to not let him do his job. And find any way you can to bring him down. Now that's just how sin speaks to you. But that's, that's I think, why Paul has to say in Colossians chapter 3, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. So, things I've learned, and admittedly and obviously this is a guy's perspective, 
I only know five things and I don't know these very well. I'm really frankly just guessing at them. So just hold on and then we'll get to the guy stuff and I'm more, more sure on those things. You want to write these down? Here's number one. And I'm speaking to you ladies. I'm, I'm trying to give you a little help here maybe. Um, number one, and this is nothing new to you, husbands don't always seem to earn your willing submissiveness. Husbands don't always seem to earn your willing submissiveness. But it has been granted to them by the authority of God. So it's the reality of the matter. It's not a, it's not a pleasant reality. But what I'm saying is this. To put it even simpler, we don't always deserve for you to be in, in a submissive role to us. It's not that <clears throat> we're perfect. It's not that because we're men, we've somehow earned the role that we've been given. It's not that we're smarter by nature. It's not that we have any capability in and of ourselves that God said, I've got to get him in charge. No. God sees us sin and all. And still, he gave roles. And so what that means for you ladies, and maybe this helps you in some way, just to confess it. Maybe you need at some point to say it out loud to yourself. So that you understand and we confess to you that we get it as well. We don't necessarily deserve to be in leadership. But God has said that's the way it needs to be. Your submission is not based on us earning you in that position. It's, it's what God has called you to. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't matter how good he is at his role you still have to play your part. So that's number one. I've learned that. Number two, um, ladies, <clears throat> when you are weak, for whatever reason, plug in a number of reasons here. When you're weak, watch out for your tendency towards sin, that desire for him component. Because it, if it's the baseline, if that's why Paul's dealing with it, then in your default sinful moments, when you, when you fall back into your old nature, right? When you're not living with those new garments on we talked about a couple weeks ago, just expect, just know that your desire will be to consume your husband and spit out the bones and to usurp his God-given authority. Your natural default into the old person, into your sinfulness, will be to usurp his authority, will be to pinpoint his sinfulness and his lack of uh, responsibility and whatever the case may be, and you will go for mutiny. So just realize that on your, on your, on your worst days, you're going to default to that. Expect it. Um, the guy who uh, discipled me uh, <clears throat> in a message on marriage one day, he said, he said, expect your own sinfulness when you go into your marriage. Expect your own sinfulness. And I think that's part of what I'm saying here. Ladies, know, know what your tendency towards sin is, specifically what Paul's getting at here and what we see in Genesis, and expect it. On your worst day when you're weak, when, when whatever's going on, that, that you're up to here, and then one more thing that he does, he, he, he's got no room left, right, for error. Just expect, ladies, that that's the direction you're going to go. I think just knowing that will help you to deal with it. Number three, <clears throat> never forget that Paul adds here in Colossians 3 that your role is fitting in the Lord. It is fitting in the Lord. Um, you're not a slave. God has called you to this role. 
And he says very specifically that it, it could be translated here, it becomes you as a Christian. And I hope that comforts you, ladies, that your role of submission in the relationship is becoming of you as a Christian woman. It's becoming of you. It's fitting. Number four. Um, notice, notice, Kimberly, <coughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> notice that you get the first challenge in Paul's list here. I don't know. I think that might be important. Kimberly and I, and the reason I say that is because we kind of go round and round here. One of the things we realized uh, a few years into our marriage is that we keep waiting on the other to fill their role so that we can fill our role. Anybody else have that problem? That I keep waiting for her to be the woman of God that God has called her to be, and then I'll be the man of God towards her that God has called me to be. And she's looking at me saying, if you were only the man of God that God has called you to be, I could easily be the woman of God that he's called me to be. You, you see how the chicken egg thing works out here? So I'm just saying here, ladies, I, there might be some, maybe, there, uh, you, can, you could check with other commentators and, and, and pastors and things, but maybe there's no accidents that wives are called to be subject to their husbands before husbands are called to love their wives. And so I'll just leave that <clears throat> right there. Number five. This is the last one I have for you ladies. Ladies, men spell subjection or submission, whatever word your, your translation uses there. But, but this calling you have, men spell that R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's just part of how God has wired manhood. Um, by respect, I do not mean fist slamming on the table. I demand respect, woman. Don't ever say woman. They don't like that. I use it on occasion just for fun. Um, by respect, I'm not talking about this authority figure that demands respect. No, ladies, I'm talking about something a little softer here than you might expect. Guys, and, and some of you have been married probably more than five years, you know this, ladies. Guys are needy, really. Sorry, guys, but we're, we're a little bit like children. We're, 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 we need affirmation. In fact, uh, Chuck Swindoll, who's a lot smarter than me, he wrote a book called His Needs, Her Needs. He said the five major needs of a woman are this, affection, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. And then he went on to say that the five major needs of a man are this, sexual fulfillment, no great surprise, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, and then number five, admiration. Admiration. I mean, do you get why that is, ladies? Respect for a man comes in the form of affirmation. Support. Um, <clears throat> men, men will hide being fired as long as they can sometimes because they don't, they, don't wanna, they don't want their wife to know. They don't want their families to know. Have you ever, ever known a man who's just pretended he's going to work until he could drum up enough courage to get over his own pride that he cannot maybe support his family in that way and he does not want to be a disappointment to his family. Men, men will do things like that. Men will um, guard their pride by all means necessary and sometimes even in sinful ways because they're wired to be respected. 
Not in a fist-slamming way. But God has wired us to be admired. We need that. So ladies, when I say that men, men spell submission or subjection, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, I'm terrible at spelling. Um, what I mean by that is, he needs affirmation from you. He needs that. All right. Um, men, if, uh, if Satan gets his way, you will be harsh and rough and insensitive. If she is tempted to throw off her role, you'll be tempted to abuse yours. Let me say that again. If the tendency or the temptation for the ladies is to throw off their God-given role, to cast it off, I don't want to be the submissive one. I don't, I don't want to play that role. And, and I just feel like that word even deserves so much unpacking, but that's another sermon for another day. But ladies, for whatever reason... If your tendency is to throw off that role, the, the husband's tendency is not to throw it off, but to abuse it. Is that right, guys? That our tendency is to take the role of leader, headship, divinely given by God, and to not dismiss it, although that happens sometimes as well, and that doesn't work out well in households either. Women will not respect a man, and they will not submit to a man who will not lead. Guys, you've got you to be willing to lead. It's part of how God has wired them to be happy and content when that leadership is there. There's a vacuum when that leadership is gone. But very often our tendency is, and I think that's why Paul says what he says, our tendency is to abuse our role. And we get harsh, we get rough, we get insensitive. That's our unique recipe common to all men of sinfulness. Um, by the way, let me let me say this before I move on to the guys in full force. Uh, I don't I don't want this to turn into too much of a psychology lesson, but both men and women have a root of insecurity from the fall that helped create this instability in our relationships. We both, right? I talked about it with the men. This this um, insecurity that causes us to act out in ways we act out. Ladies, you have it as well. It, it's a consequence of the fall. Roles being corrupted in, in both of us create insecurities towards our own bents that allow us, as John Piper uh, would put it in his book, This Momentary Marriage, that we can no longer be naked and unashamed in front of each other. And he uses that, that, that picture in Scripture of pre-fall and post-fall to say that we now become insecure, we cover ourselves, and we do it in relationships as well. And a lot of times we'll stiff arm each other, husbands and wives, because we can't trust that other person and we don't like ourselves. So these insecurities, they flesh themselves out in our sinfulness. That, that's a big part of what we're talking about here. So let's move on to the men. Um, five things I gave the ladies. I've got nine for the guys. I know a little more about it. Um, <clears throat> number one. Number one. And I won't spend that much time on these. Guys... You've got to come to grips with this, this fact. I've got to come to grips with this fact very often. Um, your wife most likely isn't your problem. You are. If, you could just, if we could just come to that conclusion, kind of back to the chicken or egg thing, don't worry about what she is doing. Don't worry about the problem being rooted in her 
that, that answer uh, or that route will never get us anywhere, guys. Tried it. It doesn't help. Focusing on the other person from either direction is not the answer. One theologian put it this way. He said, the secret to finding the perfect mate is not focusing on the perfect mate. It's focusing on who you are called to be. So don't worry about finding the perfect person out there for you. Worry about being the perfect person God has called you to be. So guys, number one, let's just, let's just say this. Your wife isn't the problem. We are the problem. Number two. When you are weak, and I said this number two to the ladies, when you are weak for whatever reason, bad day, uh, at work, uh, the children are being uh, ridiculous, um, money, whatever the problem is, when you are weak, expect that your sin will raise its ugly head in this way that Paul touches on and that you see all the way back into Genesis. We get harsh, we abuse our role, we become insensitive, and we become just goofs, just wandering around clubbing relationships that we're in. And specifically that happens at the home. That's where we're starting. When you're weak for whatever reason, watch out for this tendency. If you start to find yourself becoming more cold, less loving, less kind, then just wake up and say, maybe that's why Paul when he had one thing to say to me in this verse 19, he said, I need to love. Is because my tendency on my worst days is to be unloving and unkind and insensitive and anything that is opposite of loving. Expect your sin, guys. If you know it, if you expect it, you'll be able to combat it when it comes. You won't be surprised. Number three. Ladies, this is to you. We hear it, but we aren't letting it sink in. When I say it, I just mean whatever, whatever you're talking about. We, we hear that this is the admonition for us. Just understand, we are slow to let it sink in. Be patient with us, please. I, as your pastor, I, I'm just confessing to you. And so, ladies, with your husbands out there, maybe this helps you to be even more compassionate towards them. I struggle. Like, I know this verse. I know that's my primary call based on what my... My root of sinfulness is back all the way to the fall. That, that my tendency is just to be unloving as a man. That's where I go on my worst days and my worst moments. I know it, but it's hard. And in, in day-to-day moments, we hear it, it just doesn't sink in. And it doesn't always flesh itself out in our actions. So I'm calling on you, I guess, wives, to be patient with us. Because for some reason or another, our hardness is very often in our very hearts that we're to be loving out of. Number four. The woman God has given you, men, isn't your buddy. Amen, ladies? Go ahead, Kimberly. Amen. The woman God has given you isn't your buddy. Here's what I mean by that. Um, Guys, the way we learn to be in relationship is usually around the guys we grow up with. And how do guys have a relationship, right? When you see your buddy, you punch him right in the arm, right? Guys have relationships in this odd, cut-down way. Whatever he says, I've done it better. Whoever he's met, I've met someone better. Whatever he lifted, I can lift more. Guys live in this relationship that just is in this art of cut-downs, right? We show our affection and love towards one another by putting each other down. Isn't that odd? But we do. My point is this. Guys, that's... 
that's where you've come from. In your childhood, you hang out with other kids, other boys, other guys, and that's just kind of how you are. And then, you, then you're put in this house with a, with a female. It doesn't work that way. The punch in the arm isn't well received. The cut down doesn't work. Now, all right, let's be honest. You, you're not doing that, right? I mean, you're not that dumb, most of us. But the truth is, we still have this, and I, and I, I still struggle with this. A lot of times, I want Kimberly just to be my, my buddy. I want, I want to be able to live in a relationship that is guy-level, buddy relationship. I don't need to look at her when she talks. I don't even really need to hear. I mean, guys can ride in a car for hours and never say two words. And the things you say, you just, uh-huh. You don't even know what the guy said, right? I mean... But we have that tendency in, in this relationship, it's carried over, right? And so just, again, the truth is, guys, realize it. That you have that tendency to go that direction in all relationships because that's where your relationships are born out of with other, with other boys and other young men and then other men. It, it can't work that way at home. That makes, I mean, it's silly when you say it out loud that that would be our tendency, but it is. And let me add this on. Parents of boys... Right here, we've got to teach our boys differently. I mean, I've got to say to Grady and Corbin, as it is uh, appropriate as they're getting older, look, guy, that's not that's how we act. Me and you, dad, son, we wrestle, we punch, uh, we do crude stuff with each other. You don't you don't handle mom that way. So that one day he realizes there's a difference in how he handles a, a girl and a and a young lady and a woman. Anybody else besides me did not get that training, guys? I did not. Kimberly knows very well. I did not get that training. But we're adults now, man, and we've got we've to figure it out. We've got to figure it out. All right, number five. By the way, Peter would say it this way. You husbands, likewise, live you with your wives in an understanding way. This is First Peter uh, three, I think it is. Live with your wives in an understanding way as the what? What does it say? As the weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Let me point out a couple things in that passage because it's often mis- misrepresented. Live with your wives in an understanding way. What Peter's saying there is not live with her understanding. I mean, that's true. We've got to be understanding to our wives. But what he's saying is don't be idiots, guys. Realize she's different than you. That's what he means when he says, live with your wives in an understanding way. And then he says, what you need to understand is, is that she is a weaker vessel because she's a woman, he says. Very specific. I mean, he spells it out for us, guys. I mean, it can't get any clearer. And the reason he says because she's a woman, it's not to put her on a different lower level because he would follow that up with, with showing her honor and glory as a joint heir in Jesus, right? And so that's not his point. What he's saying is, guys... Live with her in an understanding way. Don't be idiots. Realize that she's a weaker vessel because she's a woman, not a man. You can't treat her like a man. God's designed her differently. He's equipped her. He's empowered her. He's gifted her in a different way. He's made her different for a different reason. And when he says she's a weaker vessel, that's not to downgrade her either. What that means is, is, is that she's like the fine china in the cabinet you have to be very, very careful with. You don't just toss it on the table. You have to be careful. You have to handle it in a different manner than you do the regular dinnerware. 
And so we need to live with her in an understanding way. We just, we just can't be silly and miss that, guys. Number five, men, women spell love, T-N-D-E-R-N-E-S-S, among other things. Tenderness, guys, if you're a little slow, or kindness, or gentleness, or patience. And they spell it many different ways. They're very complicated. But I think that what I've learned is if, if I can go in that direction at least, in the direction of tenderness, kindness, gentleness, patience, then, then I'm, I'm hitting the mark of husbands love your wives. Amen, Kimberly? Is that fair to say? Women spell love, tenderness, kindness, gentleness, patience. And so no wonder we can't treat them like we do our buddies. We're not tender with our buddies. Number six, Sex satisfies your need, guys, for respect because if she's going to have sex with you, she must have some level of respect for you, and that's just how we think, but not necessarily her need for love, all right? Um, I didn't say that. Kimberly has said it, and so I say that to confess to you. I, I'm not the smart one in the relationship. Guys, we don't get this, and so... I'm sharing this knowledge straight from the source for you, okay? It may satisfy your need for respect to be intimate with your wife, but it doesn't necessarily fulfill her need or satisfy her need for love. So if you've missed any of the others, maybe, guys, you need to think on that one a little longer. Number seven. Um, could have said this several different ways, but let me put it like this. This isn't a business partnership for her, guys. Your relationship isn't a business partnership. And sometimes I think, guys, that's how we approach, it, uh, approach our relationship with our spouse. That we're in this, especially after we have kids, we're in careers, you know, we're, we're, we're in the busyness of life. We kind of, if we're not careful, we start to treat our relationship like this, like this partnership, like this business of the household that we're running together and they become a business partner and not, and not the one we are to love. Respect, guys, you can get that on the job, but you can't get love on the job, you see? And so in a business partnership, you get fulfilled in what your primary need is. Respect, submission, etc., and you can find that there by running your relationship that way. Just realize, though, that your wife is going to have a vacuum because in a business partnership, love is not part of the equation. And she will not feel love in that way. All right, number, uh, where are we at? Eight. Love does not fit into man logic the same way it fits into uh, the brain of a woman. Guys, for us... Uh, love, as we're commanded here, it's as simple as addition and subtraction. A plus B equals C. I've done what I need to do. I woke up. Before I left, I gave her a hug. I gave her a kiss. And now I'm on my way. That equals love. Whatever your simple math equation is, guys, right? Um, for us, it, it's just addition and subtraction. Love, however, for your wife is physics, or some sort of advanced level, graduate level calculus that, that I have never understood. Okay? The point here is just not to, to point out the difference, but just to come to grips with that difference and figure out a way, guys, even though you're not going to be able to figure out the physics, but just know that she, she 
adds up love differently than we do. It's not as black and white for them as it is us. It's, it's complicated in ways that we don't understand it, guys. But it's not because they're wrong. It's because they think about it differently. And so we just have to come to grips with it's, it's addition and subtraction for us, but not her. And so we just we have to figure out a different way. Number nine. It's the last one. Did you notice, guys, that you're not told to submit? But don't miss the fact that she was not told to love. Have you ever noticed that? In these two verses here, she gets her admonition and he gets his. Guys, because you're not told to submit doesn't necessarily mean you don't have a sense in which you need to live in a submissive way in your home and to the needs and the desires and the interests of your wife. In just the same way that we obviously expect our, li- our wives to love us, right? Amen? You tracking with me here? All right, some of you guys are like, huh, I don't know what he said. That's not simple math. Let me put it in simple math. He doesn't tell our wives to love us, but we expect our wives to love I mean, that's just obvious, right? And so wouldn't it make sense, though, that even though she's the one called to submit, there's probably some way that we need to understand, even in our role as a leader in our home, that there is some sense in which we live in a submissiveness, not just to God, which is an obvious calling, but even to her and to our home. We, we need to find a way, as we live in love, to find the right way to be submissive, just as she is to find a way to love us. I think that's true. I think it's true. We're different, right? We're different. One guy said that marriage is when you agree to sleep in a room that's too warm next to someone who's sleeping in a room that's too cold. Anybody ever feel that way in marriage? And so, good, we should we should laugh. Um, we should laugh. I asked uh, one, one old guy one time, what's the secret to a long marriage? And he said, I lost my hearing several years ago, and that's got to help. One guy said that his wife, he was complaining to his coworker, and he said, man, all she does is talk, 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 talk. He says, well, all that talking, what does she say? He says, I don't know. She never really does say. Um, It's a complicated matter. But we, on both sides, have needs. And sometimes those needs are complicated. Have you seen seen the, uh, on the news or probably on Dateline or something. I saw it on the news a week or so ago. That somebody has opened up the Cuddle House, the Cuddle House or Snuggle House, something like this. Have you seen this? I think it's in Wisconsin. But some lady, she had the bright idea that as a business, because we all are in need of affection and we don't all have a spouse or a partner to give that affection, that she opened up as a business the Snuggle House. And for, I think, $60 an hour, you can go in and pay someone to snuggle with you. 
No joke. Uh, I think the city hasn't given her the full permits yet because they're a little bit of a f- little bit afraid that uh, there's an overnight uh, option as well. We have needs though, right? I read of a 50-year anniversary of a couple, Ted and Bessie, true story. Ted and Bessie had their 50-year anniversary and Ted was a little hard of hearing, so most of the night he was pretty quiet. Men are pretty quiet. Anyway, but he got all dressed up, she got all dressed up, and the family threw him this, this great anniversary party. And at the end of the night, they decided to go out on their front porch swing and watch the sun go down. And they sat back, and Ted leaned back, put his arm around Bessie, and loosened his uh, tie a little bit from a long night. And uh, in the silence that she was used to, she kind of leaned over and nudged him a little bit and looked right into his eyes. And she said, she said Ted, I'm, I'm real proud of you. And Ted, being a little hard of hearing, looked at Bessie a little confused and said, Bessie, I'm real tired of you too. <laughs> Sometimes, men and women, we don't, uh, we don't communicate quite perfectly. There's a lot of different reasons why we're different and we collide. And, and I, think, I think just laughing about it sometimes is, is the best medicine, Right? Can we today, guys, come to grips with, if we got to focus on one thing, it's probably how we love our wives. Ladies, if you've got to come to grips with one thing, if there's, if there's one thing to focus on, I think maybe you've heard it in Paul's words today. We'd be better off in relationships at large if we get this one relationship right. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for a day in your house, and a day with your people. We ask that you would grant us great wisdom in these things. There's so much more to be said on both sides of the coin, and um, neither one of us are perfect, right? Like Santa Claus, um, we understand that that perfect husband and that perfect wife don't, don't really exist. And that's okay. Because, Father, like we said earlier, you're in the business of fixing broken. And so, Lord, take, take the broken people in these relationships that we call marriage and fix them, Lord. Use, use our brokenness to show your strength to a lost and dying world. We know from other passages that our marriages are in crayon, a portrait of your great love for the bride that is the church. And having sent the groom in your son, Father, we long for that wedding day, that spiritual wedding day. In some, some way, Lord, in, in some fashion that uh, we probably will never fully understand until we meet you face to face, our marriage is here on earth to the one sitting next to us, perhaps, that unperfect one, there to be portrait of your great love and compassion and forgiveness, long-suffering and patience and kindness, there to be a picture of your glorious gospel to this world at large. Make us, through our marriages, light and salt in this dark and flavorless world. For those who are in great need, we ask. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen.